Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church here in Paxinos, Pennsylvania. Oh, boy. I uh, just have to take a quick minute to breathe. (laughs) It has been... What a week this has been. (laughs) I feel like everyone is probably in the same sort of boat. I'm recording this podcast, by the way, on a Thursday afternoon, so uh, by the time you're listening to this, Uh, We may know who the uh, president-elect of the United States is, or we may not. Who knows what's going to happen? These last couple days have been, rightly so, some of the most confusing. Uh, And that's usually the case, as they always come about, uh, whenever election season comes around. There is all manner of pundits and experts and people giving their takes and predictions on what's going to happen. And there's uh, accusals of fraud and uh, all the all the like and all the things that are like that. So <laughs> this isn't necessarily new, but it's definitely more apparent uh, in these days. It seems like there's more and more going on that uh, just can really flummox us. <laughs> and I will have to say that I'm right in the same boat as you. So to sort of give my take on all of this would be, I think, kind of foolhardy, especially because I don't know what's going to happen. Although, uh, what I hope to do through the course of this uh, particular episode, uh, in this particular edition of Pastor Brad's Corner, is to sort of just reflect on it a little bit, but also give some of the insights that I uh, think are true no matter what happens, uh, no matter who holds office, I think these are true, and no matter what sort of world in which we find ourselves over the next four years or so, uh, I think these still hold true even, even then. So, um, that's sort of what I want to do here at the beginning. Um, because I, I, again, I don't really know what's going to (laughs) happen. No one does. Uh, We can make predictions. We can quote, look at the math, all that stuff. We can pretend that we are the experts on all of these political science matters. And yet we're not. Ultimately, no matter what happens, it doesn't really change anything as far as who we are and who I am as a preacher. Uh, If you are a Christian, no matter what happens over the course of the next several days, weeks, years, your your mission has not changed. Your mandate has not changed. Uh, Our 
our prerogative as those who believe with the forgiveness of sins that come through the blood of Jesus Christ remains untethered from such uh, arenas of of political office and all sorts of uh, things that can be delved into that realm. Uh, it, this is true. We are uh, we are the believers, the heralds of the good news. We we don't herald uh, political activism. We don't herald some sort of uh, some sort of gospel of political change. N- no, we herald the good news of salvation. Which yes, I, uh, don't don't get me wrong. Uh, our our good news of salvation, our, our our Christianity can affect and should rightly affect our politics, but don't make it go the other way, where our politics are now affecting our salvation. Again, your mission, my mission, remains the same, no matter who holds office, no matter who ascends uh, to the White House, no matter whose authority is coming out of those buildings in Washington, D.C., uh, my mission remains the same to faithfully and fervently preach the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing can change that. Nothing uh, should distract me from that. And that's the thing that I find most perhaps frustrating about these times is that fact that I find politics to be one of the most distracting and disorienting saviors, if I can say it that way, uh, for those who believe um in the scriptures and in the gospel. And in fact, um, uh, uh, one of my friends, Dave Zoll, he talks about this in his book, Seculosity. I, I, uh, I highly recommend you read the book, Seculosity. I'll put the links into this, um, in, in the notes below, um, just because I feel like he talks about the, he talks about the ideas of we have all these different secular religions, secular, uh, um, forms of religiosity, hence the word seculosity. And he says that one of the most egregious or perhaps one of the most um, just ones that is so hard to escape is the seculosity of politics. And he says, um, he says in the book, politics is well on its way to becoming the most entrenched and impermeable social divide in America, surpassing religion, income bracket, and even race. And he goes on to talk about how this idea that if we find our truest sort of core identity in our politics, we will often find that we are dividing ourselves, we are uh, attacking other people that are around us, we are uh, resisting sort of who we are, and we are resisting grace. And that's the thing that I find with um, whenever election seasons come about, I, I feel like it is so easy to become, like he says, entrenched in our political divides and become entrenched in that sort of identity that we find ourselves uh, sort of basking in. And then we can lose the gospel altogether. Um, one of my friends, Kyle George Jones, he recently wrote a piece for 1517, which I'll link below called theses on how Christians in America can, Christians in America, excuse me, can relate to government. And at the very beginning he states this, I'm going to read this paragraph. It's it's so I think um so I I find important for our present moment. Kyle writes, sometimes the foundation of a Christian's identity can shift from God's work of salvation for them to a political work they do to save themselves. Since government and participation in it is primarily a function of the law, forcing a square Christianity through a round political hole results in a loss of the primacy of the gospel. 
This loss of the gospel's primacy leads Christians into one political atmosphere to weaponize their partial, incomplete version of Christianity against those who breathe a different political air. Isolated and divided, we fail to realize all, we fail to realize, excuse me, we all breathe the same air of grace. Oh, and I find that so, I find that so important because during these moments, and I think it's because we've been duped into believing that we are the ones who usher in the kingdom of God, and we do so by making sure we get the, quote, right man in office, so to speak. And I'm all for having good quality leaders in office, but let me tell you this, God's kingdom is going to come about in this world whether we vote the right way or not. Whether this country, we perceive it to vote the right way or not, God's kingdom is coming. It is unstoppable. It is something that we uh, don't have a lot to do with other than the fact that just we get to be the ones who get to warn people that, hey, this kingdom is coming. Are you a part of it? And sometimes, though, I think whenever these election cycles come around, and, and even in between, in the interim years, Christians can oftentimes drink this weird cocktail that mixes politics and Christianity that creates this philosophy wherein we see only the people that agree with us as the righteous ones and the ones who disagree with us as the wicked ones. And we create this new sort of political sphere in which which no one is breathing grace. We're all just breathing some sort of vitriol against those who are not like us. We create these new paradigms of us versus them in which we see people who are not voting like us as as sinners. And there's not much grace there. And I just, for me, as a preacher of the gospel, who, yes, do I lean conservative? Very much so in a lot of my uh, sort of political uh, um, leanings. But that is not to say that uh, I think that my politics are somehow inherently better than anyone else's. Do I agree uh, that and do I concede the fact that there are uh, sort of areas in which our politics ought to uh, be informed by our salvation? 1,000%. Yet at the same time, I don't want us to demonize other people for how they perhaps perceive uh, their perspectives. And that's another good article. I'll, I'll link to this one too. Caleb Gregson writes for Nine Marks recently, Don't Demonize is the title, Don't Demonize Show Honor Responding to Others After This Election Ends. And by this time that you're listening to this, maybe it has ended, but perhaps most likely it hasn't. Um, but I, I, I find this 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 paragraph uh, or these these paragraphs from this article especially convicting. Um, so let me just read them. Caleb writes this, No matter who wins or loses the election, no matter whether the results are contested, don't demonize anyone, but show honor to everyone. It's no surprise to hear folk demonize one another in the public square. This is what people do in the thrust and parry of political battle, characterize the other side not just as wrong but as wicked. Yet too often we Christians do the same. We don't give people the benefit of the doubt. We don't try to understand their perspective. Instead, we demonize, we caricature, we put them in the worst possible light. We treat people as all bad, not as fallen imagers who mix the good with the bad, as we ourselves do. To be sure, we must address abortion. It's wicked. We must address racism. It's evil. And we should use strong words like wicked and evil, yet we shouldn't forget 
that apart from the grace of God in Christ Jesus, we too are wicked and evil, and that our most important word is a word of love and grace. Therefore, we must figure out how to both fight for truth and justice and talk to our political enemies as if we loved them, as if we honored them, as God's imagers, as if they are real people. I, f- I find the words of Kyle, which I think are echoed here in the words of Caleb, uh, writing for two different, uh, two different online sort of platforms to be so so profound and so needed in this day and age in which we can just assume the worst in other people. We can view other people as enemies that need to be overcome rather than perhaps other sinners that need to be loved or friends that need to have our and ought to be given our compassion and our consideration. I posted on Facebook a couple days ago, actually I think it was the day before the election, Uh, that grace rightly understood won't let relationships get sacrificed on the altar of political opinion. My friends, don't lose a friend over this election, over any election. Don't lose a friend over something as innocuous as politics. Again, does politics contain some very weighty and significant uh, ethical issues? It sure does. Issues that we need to take to heart. Issues that are important, that are issues that we should rightly be concerned by. But let me tell you this. In light of eternity, it will not matter who won the 2020 election. And that is not to say that we just have this carefree, quesarasara, nonchalant attitude towards these things. But what I am saying is don't lose your eternal perspective. Don't lose the fact that God is the sinner, is the, excuse me, is the savior of sinners. He's not just the God of the Republicans. He's not just the God of, of the, of the conservatives. He's the savior of sinners. And sinners are all that there are. There's, that goes across all spectrums of any sort of sphere, any sort of uh, polarity you want to, you want to measure people by. He is the savior of all of those people. And sometimes during these moments, it's hard to, it's hard to see that. It's hard to uh, sort of notice that. Um, but that's what I see. That's what I feel. I, I, I don't know about you. Some people call me all political, <laughs> and um, perhaps there's some truth to that. Sometimes uh, I, I don't like to delve into these matters. I don't like to wade into the the Fox News versus CNN wars. Uh, that's not. I feel like that's not my mandate. That's not my mission in life. It's not my calling uh, to weigh in and provide comment on those things. But what I can provide comment on is this. Don't lose the grace of the gospel in your relationships as you interact with other people who voted differently than you, who think differently than you. Grace extends both ways. It is grace that is extended to us in the midst of our sin that saves us and is grace that flows out from us to others who are perhaps different than us, who think a slightly different way than we do. I know I have friends. I have friends who uh, I, I minister alongside with in various online platforms who probably and most definitely voted differently than me. And guess what? We can still minister together. We can still find ourselves aligning for the things of the gospel and for the good and the glory of Jesus Christ. And I pray I pray that we can let that be the chief sort of emblem and token of what it means to be a Christian. 
I, I think during these times, we can provide uh, sort of the wrong taste in people's mouths when they see the church so divided and almost attacking itself through this disorienting and distracting thing known as politics. They can see us sort of beating ourselves up. <laughs> and who's to blame them if they say that they don't want to have a part of this? That's why I say don't, don't sacrifice any relationship on the altar of political opinion. Uh, savor those relationships. Savor the grace of God, which saves you from your sins and which continues to save sinners from their sins. Again, this is the mission that we have called, that we have been called to uh, proclaim. This is the, this is our message. This is our mandate. This is what I consider my mandate. No matter what happens, no matter what the days may hold as they, as it, as they go forward, this is what I'm to do. Preach the gospel, show people Jesus Christ, show them how they are utterly insufficient from saving the, for saving themselves and how Christ Jesus is utterly sufficient for all matters of salvation, for saving sinners to the uttermost, he says in Hebrews 7.25. This is my calling, and this is every Christian's calling. So, um, that's just a few thoughts, <laughs> meanderings. I'm sure that many perhaps have a different perspective, and that's fine. If you if you feel like you, uh, I, I misspoke, or perhaps there's something that I could clarify, uh, please uh, provide a comment. Email me uh, the contact form you can find on the uh, link to this show. Um, I welcome any comments and discussion <laughs> on that. Of course, there's a lot that we will learn in the days ahead. There's a lot that um, perhaps we will have to reckon with, uh, but depending on who's in office. But guess what? You know what doesn't change? Again, I sound like a broken record, but that's okay. What doesn't change is our message, the, the gospel of the remission of sins through Jesus's blood. And praise Jesus for that. That's what doesn't change. So uh, let's kind of then move on. Let's move on to the things of the word. Uh, what did I preach on this past week? So uh, this past Sunday was the 1st of November, so we started a new month, and um, I continued in the morning service preaching through Ecclesiastes, um, and in the evening service, I did something a little bit different. Um, I'll just quickly uh, share a little bit about that. I preached on Matthew 22, and I was sort of combining the story of Jesus's um, examination of the coin. If you remember the scene, he's asked about taxes, and he's brought this coin, and he says, render to Caesars unto Caesars. But there's a really significant phrase that I find in, in that chapter, Matthew 22, where he examines the coin, and he says, whose image and inscription does this coin bear? And ironically enough, and the sort of theme I was trying to flesh out um, is the fact that this phrase, image and likeness, image and superscription, is the same phrase from Genesis chapter 1, where we find uh, God speaking to himself, this sort of Trinitarian conversation that he has with himself, when he says, let us make man in our own image and likeness. And so there's this just beautiful sort of... Uh, picture that I see here, that we, we bear the king's image, and therefore we are owed to the king. And in fact, uh, I wrote a blog on this several weeks ago, which is where this sort of sermon came out of. I just couldn't escape, I couldn't escape this thought, this thought that we are like this coin, have been impressed, imprinted with the king's image and likeness upon our souls. And in fact, I'll read you this quote, it comes from Alexander McLaren, where he says, man's destiny for God is unmistakable. 
whose image and superscription hath it, said Christ about the coin, Caesar's. Then give it to Caesar, whose image and superscription, continues McLaren, hath my heart. This restless heart of mine, this spirit that wanders on through space and time, homeless and comfortless, until it can grasp the eternal. Who are you meant for? God. Oh, I love, I love that quote from McLaren. I love this idea that we've been impressed and imprinted. Our souls have been dented with the image of God. And may we, may we render unto God's what is God's, our very lives. Um, I invite you to listen to that sermon. I, I found a lot of comfort in it. I hope that the theme was able to be, uh, that, that it was, that you were able to grasp it. And, and as you listen to it, I pray that you are encouraged by that truth. In the morning service, though, I continued in my sermon series going through Ecclesiastes. And I, 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 sort of, I sort of hedged a little bit at the beginning of the sermon, <laughs> only because we are entering into the phase of Ecclesiastes in which we're delving into, I think, I would say, some of the most difficult chapters to preach from, Ecclesiastes 7, 8, 9, and 10. They present just such interesting pictures, interesting dilemmas, um, just confounding illustrations that are hard to sort of articulate and sermonize. Um, but I, I found a lot of benefit in, in going through that process. <laughs> and Ecclesiastes 7 is, 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 is no different. Um, I am so appreciative for what God is showing me, even through um, my own study. Even if no one else is benefiting, and which I pray that you are, I am benefiting immensely by, by studying these scriptures and finding so much truth in them. And what I found in Ecclesiastes 7 is just this fact that Solomon uses this phrase, better than, so repeatedly throughout this chapter. And I, I found it to be where Solomon is sort of describing a life that is better than here under the sun. And so he sort of just, we have this, you know, we have this notion of how to live, quote, the best life, living your best life. That's sort of a thing that you see on social media or not, or, you know, that infamous book title, live or um, your best life now. And so how do, how do we as Christians live our best life? Uh, here, under the sun, in this land that, that we could describe as once Eden, in this land that has been, that was once created for good, that has now been infected with such badness. Well, I think Solomon delves into that throughout the course of chapter 7, and uh, my sermon was sort of trying to articulate that, in which we have this life, this Solomon is describing the best life, so to speak, but it doesn't sound anything like our best life now sort of sentiments. He describes how death is better than laughter. He describes how consideration, slowness, pausing, meditation, silence is better than assumption. And he describes how humility is better than folly. All of these things, uh, he, he goes on to describe in ways that make us pause, make us stop and consider just how much better it is, better it is to have and be graced by uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, and I think that I think that message is is entirely uh, truthful, and I think it's supremely significant for our days. Um, I am so excited to preach on Ecclesiastes 8 this coming weekend, because uh, there's a lot of things that are built upon, I think, from Ecclesiastes 7 into Ecclesiastes 8. But the thought I want to leave you with is just what this gospel of grace does for those who hold it to heart. They they realize, yes, that death is better than laughter, that consideration is better than assumption, and that humility is better than folly. 
You see, grace, you see, uh, uh, this is what I, uh, the point I was trying to make. It frees us to sit still in the middle of all of the frustrating realities of life, knowing this, that we are holding on to the hope of God's sovereignty. Yes, even though we, d- we can't make sense of all of these things, we can't always make sense of why people are taken out of this life, presumably uh, before it is their time, so to speak. We hear that phrase sometimes. It doesn't make sense to us oftentimes when there's so much injustice in this world, when we see people who deserve, we think, something good and they're given a, a, a bad sort of outcome. Those things don't make sense. Yet, the grace of the gospel allows us to sit still and know, guess what? Know that we aren't God, Psalm 46.10. We can sit still knowing that he's the sovereign one and we are the weak ones. He's the one who holds in his hands both the day of prosperity and the day of adversity, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7. He's the one who is sovereign over all things, who knows the ends from the beginnings. We don't have to insist on our own inventions and devices and insist on our own control uh, over the way this world works. We can sit still in the grace of God's authority. I find so much, oh, I find so much in that. I find so much peace in that. I find so much profoundness in that. It's so, I think, necessary in these moments, in these days, not to, not to get ahead, not to get ahead of God, not to presume that we know better, not to presume that we are the ones who can change the, uh, change the course of the world's outcomes. We can sit still. Consider the work of God, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7.13. Consider his sovereign work, his sovereign and absolute authority over all things. Grace allows us to sit still in that. I invite you to listen to that sermon, Living Your Best Life. It's a life that doesn't often sound like one that we would sign up to live, and yet it's one that I think, I think that God has called us to live. God has, has called us to live a life of stillness, of slowness, of consideration, death to our own inventions, death to our our pride of presuming we know the outcomes, death to our own control. This, I think, is is what grace does. That's what Jesus does. It's what allows us to be okay with with life's frustrations. I think that's what Solomon's trying to say. I, I hope you find a lot of encouragement in that sermon. The links you can find both the both of the links to those sermons in the notes for this show below. So I hope you will do that, uh, that you will listen to those, that you will be blessed by those. If you have any uh, questions about that or any uh, note of encouragement or comment, please let me know. I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, but let me pause for just a moment and let's take a quick word to hear from this show's sponsor. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. 
I was introduced to fresh roasted coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Let's get back to the rest of the show now. Uh, I want to just talk about a few other things. Uh, what am I reading? Well, recently, I so a long time ago, I picked it up, um, or I downloaded, I should say, uh, Stephen Ting's Lectures on the Law and the Gospel. So Stephen Ting was a 19th century Episcopal minister, and he delivered these lectures which dive into the proper use of the law in the gospel. And so this is that paradigm of theology where you are noticing different portions of Scripture as law and different portions of Scripture as gospel. So to really understand this sort of paradigm uh, paradigm of approaching the scriptures, which I would say are, has been so helpful to me. I would still consider myself new to this sort of law gospel paradigm, um, but I am so thankful for many who have influenced me, the folks over at 1517, my friend Daniel Emery Price, uh, Chad Bird, those guys, um, they have really influenced me a lot into seeing this law gospel paradigm and and, and how useful it is into understanding the scriptures and understanding um, uh, salvation and the work of Jesus Christ. And uh, to, to that end, uh, Stephen Ting's lectures are incredibly insightful and helpful uh, on this same sort of theme. And so I would highly recommend you read uh, read these lectures. They are dense. They are uh, packed with lots of doctrine and theology and, and the inner workings of law gospel theology and stuff, such like that. But um, it is what a, what a wonderful what a wonderful treatise. What a wonderful set of lectures. In fact, let me read you just a few paragraphs. Uh, from one of his lectures that I recently finished reading. He writes this. This is Stephen Ting writing. He says, The law prepares the way for the promised seed and makes an entrance to the heart for the grace of God. It opens the mind to hear and learn of God as the exalter of the humble, the comforter of the afflicted, and the lifter up of the despairing and the giver of life to the dead. As the pelting storm drives the little chickens under the sheltering wing, do the terrors of the law drive home the pardoned sinner to realize more completely the entire protection of that righteousness which the Lord Jesus illustrates by this very image. He sees more clearly that he has nothing of his own, and he can never meet from any source within himself the demands which are made upon him. He must have a righteousness which is not in himself, and cannot be found except in the obedience of the Savior for him." The more loudly the law threatens, the more closely and earnestly does he cling to this provision as the fierce, uh, excuse me, as the more fiercely the storm rages, does the bird fold herself more closely in her nest, and the dove fly the more swiftly to her window, to break up all self-righteousness, to bind sinful man merely in his own nakedness fast to Jesus, that he may be clothed from his fullness alone, is the great purpose of the gospel, and the great work of the Spirit with him." Oh, I love those words. They show us how the law drives us to Christ. It allows us to see just our utter despair, our utter inability to 
ever meet and fulfill the demands which are upon us through the law. And that's where we see the, 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 the law drives us to hope for this deliverer, this true and better deliverer, this true and better law keeper who is not us, is the savior. This, this, this righteousness, which is not something we can pull off, which is not in himself, as Stephen Ting says, it's, it comes from this Jesus, this Savior, this one who saves us by fulfilling the demands of the law on our behalf. That's the good news. Um, that's how we can see the law and the gospel at work. Uh, I hope you'll uh, find the link to those lectures, and you'll find those lectures very informative and uh, very insightful. Uh, what has been helpful to me this week? Well, at my church on Sunday mornings in one of our Sunday school classes, we are going through the Love and Respect series uh, as a class for married couples uh, with Dr. Emerson Edgricks. I don't know if you've ever done this class before or done done any sort of uh, of his lectures or seminars, but he, Dr. Uh, Dr. Emerson Egricks, just provi- uh, provides such profound insights into some of the fundamental problems that plague a lot of married marriage relationships and just relationships in general. And he shows you and shows um, all who are there, just how Jesus transforms our relationships through this sort of paradigm of seeing love and respect as sort of these mutual offerings and needs of married couples and how the gospel rightly understood allows the husband and the wife to properly love and respect one another. I cannot recommend enough going through this class. I put a link to uh, his uh, website in the notes. Uh, if you are a, a church leader, I recommend doing this as sort, perhaps like a, a small group class or what have you. If you just want to do it on your own, you can get a lot of benefit out of it from that too. So uh, I highly recommend it. Just check out Love and Respect uh, with Dr. Emerson Edgricks. It's a great and really insightful, really informative, really beneficial and enriching uh, 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 class, and uh, there's lots of information and insights that you can benefit from. Uh, what should you remember this week as we close out today's show? Let me just reiterate this. God is not sweating over the fate of the world. <laughs> uh, that is something that I have found so uh, so much peace in, in, in reminding myself that God hasn't for even a nanosecond gotten nervous about someone or or something threatening his plans for our world. Guess what? The inbreaking of his kingdom into our realm is going to happen no matter what. He's not sweating. He's not concerned. He's not nervous about his plans getting upset or thwarted or frustrated. His plans are right on schedule. His plans are right on time. God is not sweating over the fate of the world. He is sovereign. He is ruling over all things, and he is ruling over all things for your behalf and for mine. And no matter what happens, no matter what has happened in our world, no matter what happens throughout the course of the future days that lie ahead of us, God's in control. That might sound so pithy. That might sound so just just not, not profound enough, not serious enough. I might say that too casually. Let me say it again. God is in control. He is sitting on his throne in heaven. He has not been upset by anything that has occurred in our world. He's the God of all things, the Savior of all matter. He's the Redeemer of all sin. 
And let me tell you, he is in control. Thanks so much for listening. That's been it for this episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast. I hope you've been uh, really blessed by this show. Uh, Please subscribe to the Ministry Minded Podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. I appreciate, I so appreciate all of your encouragement and prayers and support. Uh, Thanks for supporting the ministry of Grace Upon Grace and Stonington Baptist Church. I'll see you in the next episode. Blessings. Blessings.